evening, would you please uh, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read the first eight verses, Mark 9, 1 through 8. Mark 9, 1 through 8, this is God's word. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around... They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Let's pray. Father in heaven, instruct us in your word, we pray. Accomplish your purpose, that your word would go forth from this pulpit and not return empty, but, Lord, would change us. So give us ears to hear. And may our hearts and our souls be open and receptive. Lord, we would see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Last time we uh, were looking at these last verses of chapter 8, and but I also read... Uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 last week, uh, because uh, 9-1 is very pivotal. Jesus had said that uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there Jesus was pointing out that uh, his messiahship, his, the fact that he is the Christ, that would mean that he would need to suffer many things. He had just been uh, telling the disciples that. And that if they're going to be his disciples, that will mean suffering on their part as well. And he says that to us here this morning. And then here in the passage, Jesus takes his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain. And we call this, this the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's different opinions as to which mountain it is. But what happens here are a few very interesting things. One, of course, is that Jesus' appearance changed. His robe became whiter than anything. Matthew, when Matthew records this transfiguration of Jesus, tells us that Jesus' face shone brighter than the sun. And then we read that Moses and Elijah appeared which is, of course, very interesting. Moses had died 1,500 years earlier, 
And Elijah was taken up uh, in the chariot about 900 years earlier. But they are here on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And then we're told that a cloud overshadowed them, enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. We're going to be looking at what, what, what do these things mean? And we might, you know, be thinking what an awesome thing it would have been to be there. What an awesome thing to be present at that occasion. But Peter, who was there, later wrote that uh, we have that prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, we might wish that we could have been there and heard and saw all of that, but that is no better than what we have here today in this place. What was there is no better than what is here today in this place. The same voice is speaking to us here as spoke there. And the same Savior is Jesus. So let's dig into this. What does it mean? What, what was the purpose of Jesus' transfiguration? He, he turns all white and is shiny. Well, nine... Verse 1 is pivotal, as I said a moment ago. It's pivotal, meaning it, it, uh, uh, what happened before is tied to this, and what follows is tied to that. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pivotal. Before, Jesus just spoke about the day when he would come in glory. He said, if you're ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I think here that Jesus is referring to the end times, referring to his coming in glory at the second coming and the judgment. And he is saying that I will be ashamed of you if you're ashamed of me. So I think Jesus is clearly referring to that final eschatological judgment and now, Jesus is saying that some will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. And then there is the transfiguration, which is a fulfillment of the kingdom of God coming in power. So if we ask the question, why, why did this happen? What's the purpose of it? Why? What's the significance of what's going on here? I think it is simply to strengthen, or I shouldn't say simply, it is to strengthen, to comfort, to encourage his disciples and us, the church, today. In the midst of trials and sufferings and sorrows, Jesus gives a glimpse of his glory. What he is doing is he is reassuring us that that glorious hope of when he returns with the angels is not just words. He's, he's letting us see the divine glory, the outburst of light 
I am who I say I am. It's not just words. As I said a moment ago, Peter referred to this incident in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16. He says this, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Here's, this is what I'm saying. This is my, the connecting point here. Peter recognizes that what Jesus was teaching them, what Jesus was doing, was not just myth. It wasn't just insignificant. Peter is saying, we were on the mountain with Jesus. We saw his majesty. We saw his glory. This isn't some man-made devised myths we're talking about. This is a real issue we're dealing with. And this is the truth that we're bringing to you. That's what Peter says. That's, how Peter took, that's what Peter took from this transfiguration. And I think that's exactly what we need to recognize. That's exactly what we need to see. The transfiguration is a manifestation of Jesus's Glory, divinity, power. And Jesus intentionally wanted his disciples and us, the church, to see it so that we would be encouraged, so that we would be emboldened and strengthened. And you know, this is also why Jesus gave his Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks about this with his disciples in the upper room in the Gospel of John. And it says that after him, the comforter would come, and that comforter would testify of me. In the ordinary world in which Jesus was walking at this particular time in Israel, Jesus looked very ordinary. In fact, he was not attractive. <laughs> he was despised and rejected in this ordinary world. And here Jesus gives the disciples and us a glimpse of something far beyond that. We need to grasp, we, us here today, we need to grasp more fully, more deeply. We need to understand more fully the transcendent glory of Jesus. Our temptation, living in this world, Going through the difficulties, the trials, the hardships is to get so focused on that that we don't see Jesus in all of his glory. And we see nothing more than what's happening in this world. And maybe you're here today in, at that place where you're overwhelmed with the hardships, with the difficulties. You've been punched and beaten, you're tired and weary, 
overwhelmed with the hardships. Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. And we might be tempted to abandon the way of the cross. (laughs) What we saw last week. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we might be at a place, I can't. I've had enough. You know, even Jesus was tempted to abandon the cross. That was Satan's temptation. We'll give you, you you can have all the glory without the way of the cross. And in Gethsemane, shedding sweat like blood, Father, if this cup can be removed from me. knowing what was coming. But we're told in Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy set before him, what is that? That he would rise again, that he would sit at the Father's right hand in all glory. And that's what we need. We need to have a a, a grasp of that. Jesus is showing us his glory, for our comfort, for our strength. This world may beat us. This world may may pummel us. But my Savior is on the throne and has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That's what we need to see. That's what Jesus, I think, is doing in this passage is he's saying... You see me as, as, as an ordinary man in this ordinary world. Let me show you something. <laughs> Let me give you just a little peek of the reality. We need to grasp and have a picture. We need a glimpse. Jesus as the glorious one. And when, we lo- when we're so focused on this world and its hardships, we can easily lose sight of that. So this morning's message is to draw you there. You know, uh, John, uh, the, the Apostle John, was, uh, was sent to Patmos. Remember the island of Patmos? Uh, that was not a pleasant thing uh, to, for him. He was, he was there, and Jesus in... Uh, Revelation chapter 1 comes to him. He says, this is how John describes it. Revelation 1 verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. So I'm your brother and I'm a partner in the tribulation. He'd been enduring trials and difficulties and, and, and persecution. And the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, 
clothed with a long robe and with golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is Jesus standing before John, and John is overwhelmed with the glory of Jesus. He says, fear not. Behold your God. Behold your God. We need such a vision. We need such a vision of Christ. We get that too, actually, in verse 1, where it says there are those who hear who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And I think this transfiguration is the fulfillment of that. So that Peter, James, and John, they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What does that mean? Because they saw Jesus. It means Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus is the kingdom of God. If you would see the kingdom of God in power, then look to the king. The glory of the kingdom is the glory of the kingdom's king. This is why we preach Christ. This is why we proclaim Christ. And so to those who will taste death, Jesus comforts, encourages, strengthens with his glory. So this is what I think is the purpose of the Holy Spirit inspiring the gospel writers to include this transfiguration. But why Moses and and Elijah? Why did they appear? Well, interestingly, both of them had met with God when they were living on this earth on a high mountain. Moses did on Mount Sinai. He went up to the mountain and met with God there on Mount Sinai. We read of that in Exodus 19 through 24. Elijah also went up a mountain, Mount Horeb, and met with God and spoke with God at 1 Kings 19. God spoke with him. But I think more significant than that, as interesting and significant that is, is Moses represents the law. And Elijah comes as a representative of the prophets. Moses was the one to whom God gave the law. Elijah is representative of the Old Testament prophets. And the point is this, I think. It is they have come to testify that the Old Testament points to Christ that it is, it is the promise, and Christ is the deliverance. Christ is the fulfillment. Their presence affirms that Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law and the prophets, that Jesus is the fulfillment. But I think, too, they are there to support and encourage Jesus to go on. 
You know, we shouldn't think that Jesus' time on earth was easy, was a piece of cake, a walk in the park. It was difficult. He suffered. He was tempted. He wept. Always, he lived always knowing what was before him. I, I can't even imagine how difficult that must be, knowing that he would suffer and, and, and be hung on a cross. But he was always aware we read in Luke 22 that God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus. His time on earth was not easy. And so I think here you have Moses and Elijah coming to Jesus, and they're speaking to Jesus. They're, they're talking, we're told. And in Luke chapter 9, Luke tells us that they spoke to Jesus about his departure. The word literally is his exodus. His death. You know, Israel's exodus in the Old Testament from Egypt signified God's salvation, His redeeming them from slavery in, in Egypt. And in this, the revelation of His glory on the mount, they discussed together, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, Jesus' death. That was central to His mission. It's as though his, it is through his death and through his suffering that salvation and glory would be brought and would come to sinners, freeing us from the dominion of sin and Satan. Peter wanted, of course, to, you know, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> wanted to set up three tents, and it's interesting, for he did not know what to say because he was so terrified. Uh, you can imagine, you know, after they came down and Peter, and they're, they're reporting this to the other disciples, and James says, yeah, and Peter said, we need to build three tents. And the other disciples, what are you talking about? Uh, what's, Peter, what's Peter thinking here? Well, Peter is seeing the glory of Christ, and he wanted to memorialize it. He wanted to memorialize Christ's glory. Again, you finding Peter not getting Jesus' mission and wanting a crossless glory. This is what Peter kept doing. He wanted a crossless Glory. He, he wanted Christ. He wanted Christ to be the Messiah, but not a suffering Messiah, not a, a weak-appearing Messiah, not a dying Messiah, not a cross-hung Messiah. Peter saw this as the climactic moment of Jesus' ministry. Erect tents. Not recognizing that the cross and the empty tomb is the climactic moment of Jesus' ministry. So while Moses and Elijah and Jesus are talking about that, 
climactic moment. Poor Peter is thinking, this is it, right here on the mount. There needed to be another mount, Calvary, for Jesus. Well, then we have the, uh, uh, the cloud and the, and, and the voice. In the Old Testament, the cloud is a picture of God's presence and protection for his people. Uh, in Exodus, during the Exodus, he led his people through the wilderness by day with a cloudy pillar. And in Exodus 24, Moses was enveloped by the cloud of God's presence, and God spoke to Moses from within the cloud. And so the same is happening here. God speaks. He's not speaking to Jesus, by the way. He's speaking to the disciples and speaking to us. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You might see him seemingly weak, despised and rejected in this world. I love him. He is my son. Listen to him. Take his word to heart. Honor him as your Lord. Listen to him. Those are powerful words for us. We need to be like young Samuel, you know, when he heard the voice and he went to Eli and wasn't sure what was going on. And then finally he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That should be our response always. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. When you come Sunday morning before worship, when you, if you spend any time in prayer, that should be your prayer. Lord, speak to me this morning, for your servant is listening. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Verse 8 uh, says, suddenly, looking around, they're no longer, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Why, I wonder, did Mark include this? I think it is showing us that what Jesus had to do, ultimately, he needed to do alone. He needed to go to the cross alone. You know, the Mount of Transfiguration isn't the only time that, that Jesus had glory. In fact, for all uh, eternity prior to that time, but prior to the, uh, uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, he had glory. He had glory from eternity as the second person of the Godhead. So what brought him to set aside that glory and to enter our sinful world? What You think about that. Think about the setting aside of his glory, the glory of divinity, 
and being conceived in the womb of a sinful woman, being born in the normal way infants are born, and how humiliating that was. Setting aside his glory. And then all throughout the 33 years, despised and rejected. What would bring about the Son of God to set aside his glory and enter into this world? Well, Jesus tells us, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus set aside his divine glory to bring us into his glory. <laughs> to bring us into his glory. And Peter tells us we have the same voice. We have the same testimony that they had on the Mount of Transfiguration. The question is, are you listening? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Are you listening? Is he your Lord? 